All right, folks, Epiphany Sunday is here. Epiphany Sunday. And you may, may have been a little confused when you walked in this morning and you saw the Christmas decorations and kind of been thinking, well, what's up with that? Well, in the church, we, typically we, we continue to celebrate um, the coming of Jesus until January 6th, which is the day of Epiphany. And that day, uh, what that day celebrates is it, it, it celebrates um, the mystery of God as man. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, but the holiday season, what it also means is that the holiday season is kind of winding down for us. Um, you know, if you're anything like me, you might want to just hop into a time machine and kind of go back to right around Thanksgiving when the holidays were just ramping up. I mean, you just really love this season. Um, but some of you, you know, you're just, you're just so exhausted from the Christmas season that you don't even know how you got here this morning. You're just on autopilot and you're just letting, letting it roll until, you know, work tomorrow. But um, I, I will say that Katie and I had a uh, really special Christmas this year. Um, we're fortunate because I'm an only child, and so we can celebrate Christmas with my family uh, a couple days early, and then I'm usually here um, for most of Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas Day, we celebrate with her family. And Christmas Day was extra special this year because her sister and my brother-in-law just gave birth in October to um, their first uh, baby, baby girl. And so uh, this was the first Christmas for Katie and I as uh, aunt and uncle first Christmas for Katie's parents as grandma and grandpa. And I'm sure all of you know this, but what they say is true, babies change everything, right? They, they change everything. And especially, this is especially true for uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law because um, they, they were trying for years to get pregnant. Uh, they they uh, went through a, a long season of, of infertility and it, it was so, they literally tried almost everything. And uh, it ended up that after several years of trying, the doctors said, you know, really there's, there's no chance that you're going to get pregnant naturally, and you have only an 8% tra- chance to get pregnant um, artificially or, any, you know, with any other, other uh, way. And, and, you know, they were, they were devastated by that, understanding, because this is something that, and if you've gone through this, I mean, you know that, man, this is just, it stops you in your tracks, because this is something that, you know, obviously, being a mom and dad, it's, Important. It's something that you know we feel called to. As as you know, that why would God hold, withhold? There's so many different emotions and questions that you ask, and so you know, um, obviously they, they were going through a difficult time. But they you know, um, they they felt you know, okay, well if, if that's if that's if that's what God has for us, then then let's adopt. And so you know, they went through the entire adoption pro, pre pre-adoption process, and in order to adopt, you have to get, you have to like baby-proof your home. You kind of have to have, you know, you have to buy a car seat and have a stroller and everything. You have to buy that before they'll approve you for adoption. So they did all of that. You know, they got the little covers for the plugs and everything, uh, you know, the, the seals for the cabinets and stuff like that. Um, and they went through all of that, and then there was um, a, a baby that they, that the, a woman who was pregnant, and they, they were, you know, kind of matched up with her and said, okay, maybe this is you know, maybe this is who we're going to adopt. And literally, right then, they found out that they were pregnant. And so, it, crazy, after, you know, years and years, it, this is literally, um, you know, baby Ellie is literally a miracle baby. And so, uh, you know, they uh, just gave birth in October. And so, this Christmas was unlike any that, you know, we've ever had as a family. And it was really, really exciting, you know. Because if you've been around babies, I mean, especially on the holidays, this is... 
All we wanted to do was, you know, look at her, stare at her, you know, try to get her to smile, you hold her and everything. And so really the, the holiday for us was different than it, it ever really had been um, before because of this little baby. And really that, that's a, a really cool picture for us of the birth of Jesus. Um, and just that, that idea that, that babies change everything. And, and for, for, for my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, it changed for, for us, for our family. And it was similar for, for Mary and Joseph, but the thing about baby Jesus was he was such a special baby that he, he changed everything for the entire world, for all of mankind. And that's because baby Jesus, although he was fully human, he was also fully God. Um, and that mystery, that, 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 that thing that we can't put our minds around, that's kind of what we look at. We call that the incarnation of Christ. And that's the thing we kind of look at on Epiphany Sunday. We, 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 we ponder that mystery. How, how can God come to earth as a man and both be fully God and fully man? And it's really, it's this, this beautiful thing that because he was uh, this baby, this miracle baby born of a virgin, it changes everything, not just for the people then, but for us as well. It's this beautiful thing. And traditionally, on the day of Epiphany, um, we specifically look at um, God as, uh, uh, Jesus as God. Although he was a fully human baby, he was also fully God. And we kind of look at three events in the life of Jesus um, as, they, 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 as they kind of reveal him as deity. And the first one is uh, when the Magi uh, visit Jesus. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but throughout the Advent season, um, the, three, the three kings we have here have kind of been scattered around the sanctuary to kind of represent, oh, they're looking for Jesus. You know, they, they see the star and they're looking. But finally, today on Epiphany Sunday, there they are. They, they finally made it. They finally uh, have seen Jesus. And, and Scripture tells us that they don't just come to see him. They come and they, 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 they literally get on their faces and worship him because they know that he, that there's something special about this baby. He is a king. And one of the other events that we, that we look at in the church is Jesus' baptism. Because when Jesus goes into the water and he comes back up, suddenly the, 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 the sky splits open and, and the Spirit of God comes down on him like a dove. And there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Obviously, there's something special about Jesus. There's something special about him. And, and, and you know, obviously, we, we believe that he's not just, not just a man as as the Spirit of God said, he is also God, the Son of God. And then the third one is uh, when Jesus was at the, the, the wedding at Cana, uh, when he turned water into wine, which is his first recorded miracle. That's when we also look at that and say, okay, there's something really special about this guy. He's doing things that people have never seen before. And so uh, today on Epiphany Sunday, we kind of look at that. We, we, we want to ponder that mystery. God or Jesus as God, but Jesus also as fully man, this, this kind of crazy 100% and 100%, how is that possible? Um, but it's honestly a really, really fun topic. Um, and you might be thinking, okay, what does this have to do with our text, Isaiah 61? What, is, what does that have to do with anything? Uh, well, I'm very glad you asked. Um, our text this morning in Isaiah 61 is actually quoted by Jesus uh, in, in Luke, Luke 4, and it's the first time uh, Jesus we have in Luke that Jesus speaks. And so this is kind of, um, he, we have Jesus saying these words that we're gonna read and what he was doing, what I, I think we're gonna see this morning is that he was proclaiming who he was by, by quoting this text. He was proclaiming who he was 
but also what his purpose was, what his calling was on earth. Because not only did Jesus know those things, not only did he know who he was and know what he was called to do, what his purpose was, but he also, I think we're going to see this morning, we also see that he never stopped engaging these things or keeping these things in focus. And that's how he was able to continue to be faithful in his ministry. The con- this, this constant engagement or constantly keeping these things in focus with, with who he was and what he was called to do was foundational to Jesus' entire three years of ministry. And I hope that we'll see for ourselves by the end of today that not only was this foundational for Jesus, but if it was foundational for him in his ministry, that it's also foundational for us in our lives and like John talked about a few weeks ago, when, when a part of the Old Testament is, is alluded to or, or quoted by somebody in the New Testament, they're not just using those few lines, they're, they're, they're alluding to the entire context of the, the, the passage that they're quoting from. And so because of that, I, the way I kind of want to break down our text today in Isaiah is I, I want to first look at what is the context of Isaiah's words um, in Isaiah's time. And then after that, I want to look at what are the implications of Jesus when he quotes this stuff? What, what, is, what, is that, what are the implications there? What does that mean? And then finally for us, I want to look at, okay, how, how can we apply all that stuff today? How, how, how does this make a difference for us in our lives today? And ultimately, I believe today, again, I think we're going to see that Jesus knew who he was. He also knew clearly what his purpose was, what his calling was in life and we'll see that by constantly engaging these things, that was foundational to him in his ministry, in his three years of ministry. And ultimately, for us, in our application, I hope that we see that as followers of Jesus, we're called to do the same thing. We're called to imitate Jesus. We're called to know who we are, to know our calling, and to keep that in focus in our lives. And so that's, that's my hope for today. Um, if, you want, if, you can, if you haven't turned there yet, we're gonna be in Isaiah 61. It's on, pew, uh, it's on the page, on page 517 in the Pew Bible. And the context here, again, Isaiah is a prophet. He is somebody that he is bringing the words of the Lord to the people of Israel. And Israel had been exiled to Babylon. And so there was all this chaos, like what, what is happening here? And so in Isaiah, the, these words are kind of happening amidst that chaotic time in Isaiah 61. So if we'll open with me, we are starting in verse one. Hear the word of the Lord. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated, They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Skip up to verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. 
Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I said, the way I want to unpack this text this morning is in three parts. I want to look at it in the original context of Isaiah's day. And then I want to look at what are the implications of Jesus quoting this text. And then for us, I want to, I want to just see how can we apply this to our lives today. So first, let's look at the original ta- context of Isaiah's words here. As I said, and as we've looked at over the course of this Advent series, Isaiah was a major prophet. He had a lot of things to say. And not only is there a historical narrative in the book of Isaiah, there's also a lot of prophecy because of that. There's a lot of looking ahead to the future or pointing ahead to the future. And so, as I said before, we also know that Isaiah was a prophet during this time of exile when when Israel was taken captive and and forced to to leave their home and go to a foreign city in Babylon and live in exile there. The Lord speaks to the Israelites through Isaiah, and he says, you know, you brought this exile upon yourselves because you've sinned against me and you've been disloyal against me, and so you brought this this exile away from your homeland upon yourself. And this exile was heartbreaking for the Israelites because if you can imagine, I mean, they they didn't want to be away from home. They they didn't want to be forced to worship their God away from, from the promised land or away from the temple. I mean, this was devastating for the Israelites. And in the, midst of it, in the midst of it, they just think, man, this is it. We're exiled to Babylon. We're going to die here. Uh, Israel, we're not going to be a nation anymore. And so that's the mindset that they're going through. But that's the significance of prophecies like the one in Isaiah 61. Because in, in these words, God is telling his people that there's hope. That this exile is not going to be their end. It's not going to be their demise God promises to again, as he's done so many times before, to once again save his people, to bring them out of exile and back home. That's the context of Isaiah 61 and a lot of Isaiah. And some of your Bibles might have the heading above this chapter that says, the year of the Lord's favor. And here Isaiah is saying that God is promising that the Israelites will once again come back into the Lord's favor. Because they were living in the promised land, they were under the Lord's favor, but then they began to fall away in sin and then they get exiled. And God is saying, I'm gonna bring you back under my favor. And so because of that, on the surface, it would be easy for us to think that, okay, well Isaiah 61 has to be talking about this return, this redemption from exile back home. But when we we look at the, the history here, when we look at when Israel is able to, and, and God does bring them out of exile. He, he does fulfill that promise. But when they come back home, there's not really a point that we can point at and say, okay, this, this is the time when finally they were back under God's favor. There's really just, there's no time in the Old Testament where we can look at and say, that's it. That's when they were back underneath God's favor. And so that begs the question, okay, well, 
this prophecy is still here. Isaiah says that, that the God's favor is going to be back over Israel. So what is Isaiah saying? Or what is, what is Isaiah prophesying about? What is he pointing to? And so that leads us into Luke 4. When, and that's the, that's the chapter which, in which Jesus quotes um, this, this text in Isaiah 61. So if you want to, you can turn there with me. Um, I'm going to be in Luke 4, and that's on page 718. Or you can just listen along. That's fine, too. At the start of Luke 4, um, Jesus, this is the, the time when Jesus went out into the desert for 40 days um, to fast and to pray, to spend time with God. And if, if, if you know the story, you know that the, the enemy, the devil, Satan, came and, and tempted him in three different ways. And Jesus was able to overcome that temptation. And, and now that's where we're going to pick up. So after he comes, he comes out of the desert, he comes into Galilee, and that's where this uh, text picks up. So we're going to start in verse 14, and it says this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Again, after spending this time in the desert, he returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, where he had been raised, his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so Luke is telling us that, that Jesus, okay, he's, he's, he goes into the synagogue. He's done this before. He's been teaching in synagogues. And he comes back to his hometown. He goes in to teach. And he stands up to read. That's the, everyone generally was standing. And they would, he, the teacher would normally sit during the teaching. But he stands to read um, from the Torah, from from literally from what we have as Isaiah, as this book of Isaiah, somebody gives him a scroll of Isaiah. And so he, he goes and he opens it and he finds what we know as Isaiah, Isaiah 61. He goes and he finds this. And then he reads those, those first, that first verse and a half from Isaiah 61. And then it's got to be like the greatest mic drop of all time. He says, and this is being fulfilled in me right before your eyes. Literally the greatest mic drop of all time. He could have just walked out right then and everyone would have been like, Oh, man, this is crazy. He's saying, I mean, Jesus is saying, I, this is me. I am the Lord's anointed. The Spirit of God is on me, is in me. I am the one that is going to bring the good news to the poor. I am going to bring the favor of the Lord back on you. What didn't happen after the end of the exile, I am going to bring that. Jesus is really alluding here that he is the Messiah. He is the chosen one that's been sent by God to save the world to save the very people that are watching him say these, say, uh, read the scripture and say these words. And so from, from Jesus' words here in Luke 4, we know that Isaiah's prophecy wasn't just about a return from exile from Babylon back home. It was, it's really ultimately about the, it's foretelling the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, to save the world. And it's about redemption from sin and death, not just redemption from Babylon, but redemption 
from all sin and all death. I mean, this is huge. And this is ultimately the context of our text this morning in Isaiah 61. It's the foretelling, the pointing to who Jesus would be and what his purpose or what his calling was going to be. And so that's the context of our text this morning. So now I'd like to look at, okay, what, what is the implications of Jesus quoting this passage? Why would he quote this? What does it mean? And again, just to repeat, when, when somebody in the New Testament quotes from the Old Testament, they're, they're quoting, they're really, they're quoting a certain, a small portion, but they're alluding to the entire context, the entire passage. So Jesus is saying, even, even though he quotes just a few sentences from Isaiah 61, he's, he's really saying all of Isaiah 61. This, I am fulfilling all of this prophecy here. But I, I believe there's a reason that Jesus only quotes these seven lines. It's almost like he's kind of highlighting them in, in a way. And so those seven lines are really what I want to focus on this morning. I'm just going to reread them for you real quick. It says, and this is Jesus quoting Isaiah 61. These are the words from Isaiah 61 that Jesus quotes. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It seems pretty clear to me that Jesus is really declaring two things. He's declaring who he is and what his calling is, what his purpose is in life. He says he's been anointed by the Lord. He, he is the son of God. He has the blessing of the Lord and the empowerment of the spirit. He knows that, that this is who he is. He goes on to say that his purpose or his calling is to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness for the prisoners or for the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus knows without a shadow of a doubt what his purpose is, who he is and what his purpose is, what his calling is. And you might be thinking, well, of course Jesus knew because I mean, he's the son of God. Of course he knows who he is. Of course he knows what his calling is. I mean, he, while, and that's, that's, this is part of the mystery of what we celebrate on Epiphany. While, yes, Jesus was fully God, he was also fully, completely, 100% human. And it's because of that, that, I believe that he still had to connect and engage with his father to truly understand who he was and what his purpose or calling on earth was to do. And so, therefore, I don't think it's an accident that in Luke here, Jesus declares these words immediately after having spent 40 days fasting and praying, spending time with his father. I don't think it's an accident that out of that time, he comes and he, he knows who he is. He knows what his calling is. Because I think he, he gets that from his time with the father. Because G, and therefore, Jesus, Jesus although, he was both, although he was fully God, he was still fully man. He needed that time of engagement, that time of surrendering, of spending before the Father to understand his identity, who he was, and his calling, what he was, his purpose was on earth. And I also don't think it's an accident here in Luke that these are the, these are the first specific words of teaching that we have of Jesus in the book of Luke. I mean, the first verse we read, 14, it says he comes back to Galilee and he's preaching and he's going to the synagogues and he's saying, and everyone's just in awe. But these are the first specific words 
that we have that Jesus says in the book of Luke. And I think Luke is trying to paint a picture of a narrative. He's trying to, to, to tell the story of Jesus, of his life. And so I think what Luke is getting at here is because these are the first words that kind of launched Jesus into his ministry. I believe Luke wants us to, to, to know that these things, this, this calling is foundational to Jesus' entire three years of ministry. That what he says, he, who he is and what he, his purpose is, these words from Isaiah 61, that is the foundation of his entire purpose, his entire life, his entire ministry. I don't think that's an accident. And we see, we see these words fulfilled in Jesus' life and ministry. I mean, we see Jesus proclaiming in the rest of this book and in the other gospels, we see Jesus proclaiming the good news to the poor, and not just the physically poor or the economically poor, but also the poor in spirit, also, also the, the emotionally poor. And we see him helping the brokenhearted. We see him healing the sick. And we see him proclaiming that I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. We see him fulfilling these words in his ministry. We see that in the rest of the Gospels. And through all of it, Jesus never loses sight of it. He never loses sight of his purpose, of his calling. And everything he does is founded in who he knows himself to be and what his purpose and calling is. And he's able to do this through the Holy Spirit empowering him. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Through this empowering of the Holy Spirit, he's able to keep these two things in focus. Okay, I know who I am. I know what I'm called to do. And he keeps these things in focus till the end. I mean, even though it ultimately means that he is going to suffer and have a brutal death. Don't forget that Jesus didn't want to suffer. I mean, if you think back to the Garden of Gethsemane, I mean, Jesus prays to God, if there's any way that you can change my calling, that you can take this cup, this, this death that I'm about to experience, if there's any way you can take this away, please do it. But what does he say after that? Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus puts aside what he wants and he follows through with what he knows his father has called him to do, even though it means dying and excruciating and humiliating death. That's because Jesus knew who he was. He was able to, to keep that in focus and he knew what his calling was. He kept that right in front of him. He didn't get distracted. He didn't let anything take his eyes off of his purpose, his calling. It doesn't mean it wasn't extremely hard. I mean, we, we have these, this prayer of, of Jesus in, in the garden, and it's just brutal. I mean, he's sweating drops like blood, it says. I mean, this is just excruciating stuff. It's really hard. It doesn't mean, just because he's able to keep his eyes focused on who he is and what his calling is, it doesn't mean it's not really, really hard. But it also doesn't mean that he couldn't ask questions, because we see him asking God, saying, please, can you change this? But in the end, he follows through. He knows, okay, God didn't change it, and so I need to follow through with his will. And this, I think this really leads us into our application. I mean, we looked at what, what are the implications in Jesus' life, so how can we apply that today in our own lives? And we have the context from, from the day as well. So what, is it, what does it mean for us today in, in 2016? I think the simplest way to put it is we're called 
to the same thing as Jesus, meaning we need to know who we are, and we need to know what our calling is, what our purpose is in this life. Jesus' thoughts, words, and actions in the Gospels are an example to us. This is how we're supposed to live. This is what we're called to do. Because like Jesus, this book says that we also are sons and daughters of God. When we start to follow Jesus, we are grafted in. We are adopted. We are family. We are a son or daughter as Jesus was. And therefore, we're called to the same things that is laid out here in Isaiah 61. We're called to the same purpose that Jesus was called to. There's this Christian therapist and professor named Dan Allender. He has this podcast um, called The Allender Center. And uh, I was driving yesterday, and we, uh, I, was, I popped on his podcast, and he had a new one for, for the new year. He's looking, he's like looking into the new year. And it just happened, and I don't think this is an accident. I don't think these things are accidents. It just happened at the end of it to talk about Luke 4. And I love it when that stuff happens because I think, I think that's a clear sign that God has something to say when I'm like, man, I'm looking at Isaiah 61, I'm looking at Luke 4 all week, and then all of a sudden, randomly, not, I didn't know that he was gonna do that, but he, he, he starts talking about Luke 4, and he just said beautiful words, so I wanna share those with you. This is what he said about Luke 4. He said, all of us have a calling to the brokenhearted because we're brokenhearted. All of us have a calling to those who are in bondage because we all know something of bondage. And we are all called to invite, to address, to heal the blind because we know our own blindness. So for us, brothers and sisters, I mean, we are called to the same things that Jesus was called to. And I also don't think it's an accident that this text uh, and this, this message comes on the first Sunday of a new year, the first Sunday of 2016. Because whether or not you're a person of New Year's resolutions, a new year is always a chance to look ahead at what's coming, kind of a fresh start of sorts. And so whatever it is that you have in store, whether it be work or school you know, time with family, time with friends, maybe a vacation coming up this year that you're really anticipating, looking forward to. Whatever it is you have in store this, this new year, let's look at how can we apply this deeper calling from Isaiah 61 and, and Jesus' words in Luke 4, how can we apply this to the things that we know are coming up, the things that we're already doing and are going to be doing this year? I think, and I think there are people at our jobs that are brokenhearted. How can we encourage them? And there are people that are at our schools that are in bondage. How can we help set them free? How can we have a healing impact on the world around us in the same way that Jesus had a healing impact in his time and in his ministry? And I realize that these questions can kind of be relatively abstract. I mean, I think it's easy for us to kind of come in and sit down, hear this, and, and, and to truly think about it, but then kind of, kind of walk out and just kind of go about our day, you know, go to lunch or whatever, whatever our plans are for after this. And, 
It's easy for me to do when I, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm engaging, and I'm like, yeah, this is great, but then I totally forget when I walk out those doors. And that's why I really like these Kairos cards. They're in your bulletin. I like them for two reasons. Um, or I like, I like them because I, they're a reminder for me that I can actually, if I actually write this down, it actually helps me, it keeps me kind of accountable in a way to, oh yeah, I had those thoughts during that message. And there's just two questions on here. It says, what is God saying to me? Then it also says, what is God telling me to do about it? And the other thing I like about this, it, 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 it doesn't let me just stop at, at the abstract. It, it forces me to think, okay, what is he telling me to do? What is he telling me to plan to do, to actually take action? It's e- I think it would be easy for us to just kind of walk out of here and just kind of, you know, binge watch church and just kind of consume and be like, all right, this, yeah, this is cool, and then leave here and then kind of just say, okay, I'm not, I don't, you know, not really gonna do anything or just not, just totally forget about it. I think it's, it's easy. I, I, I am so guilty of this week in and week out. But I encourage you for us to actually bring change, to bring godly change in our lives and in our world we need to make a plan to actually do something, to actually engage, engage life, engage what is God saying to me, what is he telling me to do, okay, and then actually make a plan, how can we do it? And if you have a journal or maybe, you know, your notes on your phone or something like that, it doesn't matter where you put it, but somewhere that you'll see it, and it'll, it'll bring back that, the, what you're feeling now or what, what God is kind of bringing to your head or to your heart right now. And at the bottom of the Kairos card, it says, please share your Kairos moment with someone before leaving today or share it with Pastor Chris. And Pastor Chris even gives his email and you can email him if you want. And I th- the reason that that's on there is because we, we need each other. The church, we need each other. Every one of us has a totally different story. I have a different story than, than, than any of you and you have a different story than me. But the things that you have learned in your life may be totally valuable to me in this new year of 2016, and vice versa. And it's a beautiful, the church is such a beautiful thing because it's a community of people that are united under, under the banner of Jesus and united under the same thing. We all follow Jesus, but we're all so different. And so we need each other to help each other through times of, of, of heartache, times of bondage, times of blindness. We need that accountability from each, from each other. And so that's why it says, tell, some, tell someone, and I think tell someone close to you, someone that is, is willing and able to, to kind of snap you out of it, if, you're, if you kind of lose sight of your calling, someone that's able to keep you accountable to that, but also somebody that's able to, to bounce ideas off you and say, well, this is kind of what I feel God was saying. Have somebody, it's so great and important to have somebody that you can kind of bounce, okay, what, what, what's God telling me to do? I think let's, instead of just sitting on the sidelines or standing in the bleachers, let's get on the field, let's play, let's, let's lean into a life of action in 2016. Because as, as we step into this new year though, I implore you to pause and to pray. Ask God, what is your deeper calling for me this year? And it doesn't have to be this like mind-blowing thing. I think it's actually better if it's bite-sized, because then, like a lot of other New Year's resolutions, if they're huge things, a lot of times we just, we just drop them. We just say, oh, I can't do that. It's, it's impossible. 
But if they're small bite-sized things, then it's more realistic for us to actually attain that and say, okay, yeah, I, I did it. What's next? You know what I mean? It's just, it's very important for us to make realistic bite-sized baby step types of plans for us to do. I think that's so important. But before that, spend time praying. Spend time like Jesus did. Spend time praying. Spend time with your heavenly father. Don't just keep it to yourself. Talk about it. Talk about what you hear or sense from God. Talk about it with somebody close to you. Because it's, it's easy for us to just consume what's being said or what's, what's happening in the music. It's easy for us to just kind of take it all in and, and not be affected by it. But instead, let's be consumed by God, by the consuming fire. Let's be consumed by him. My friends, Jesus knew that he was a child of God. And he knew that that meant he was called to live a certain deeper way. So this year, as we jump in to 2016, may we, through the work the Holy Spirit is already doing within us, may we become more like Christ. May we learn to engage unceasingly with our Father the way Jesus did. And may we learn to die to ourselves the same way that Jesus died so that we can live for something greater than just me, just myself, so that we can live for the kingdom of God. May we, in this new year of 2016, bring the favor of the Lord to the people around us. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would continue the work that you've already been doing in our hearts, that you've already been doing in Grace Lutheran Church. We ask, Lord Jesus, that it would be here at Grace Lutheran Church as it is in heaven, Lord, that it would be in our hearts as it is in heaven. And we confess, Father, that so often we... we lose sight of you, we turn our eyes away from you and away from who we are, a son or daughter of you, and we, we turn our eyes away from what you've called us to, how you've called us to live, what, what you've given us as a purpose. We confess that we so often look away. So we just ask, Holy Spirit, for your empowerment to keep our eyes focused on you, our eyes focused on the calling. We just ask that your spirit would anoint us with a fresh anointing so that we would be empowered to proclaim the good news to the poor, that we would be empowered to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, that we would be empowered to set the oppressed free, and that we would be empowered to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. May our hearts be like the good soil today. May your seed, the, word, the seed of your word come in and root itself deeply and may it flourish into full faith. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the cross. We ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.